started. Welcome everybody to Bible study. Glad you're here. And I'm happy to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming out. And we're going to take some time just to pray and then we will get a move on. So let's pray. Father, thanks for loving us. We thank you God for your plan for our lives. We thank you that uh, we have a God who is intimately concerned with, involved in, uh, knowledgeable of the details of our lives, so we thank you for that. We thanks that thanks that you have uh, an interest in us and what's going on. And so tonight we uh, give you honor and we give you praise as God who is with us. We give you honor and praise as a God who loves us. We give you honor and praise as a God who cares for us and provides for us. A God who protects us. So, God, we ask tonight that you would lead us, guide us. We pray that we'd have open ears to hear what you're saying. We ask for your Holy Spirit to take truth from your word tonight and apply it to us. Apply it to our heart, apply it to our spirit, apply it to our soul, God. Just ask you that we would respond to you and this would be a time where uh, we would grow and we would mature and that, Father, uh, we would receive all that you have for us. We'll give you honor. And we give you that praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to the book of Deuteronomy. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. They are available. These are, of course, the printed version of the Bible. That's in a real book form, if you like to use that. Some of you have tactile needs, and it helps you with that. Uh, or you can use your digital version. It's all good. Same word. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 we're heading to. As you're turning there, just want to make you aware of an interactive feature uh, of our Bible study. And that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com. Slash Monday Night Bible Study. All one word. Uh, you go to that page and you find a button to toggle and you can leave us a message. And that could be a question, it could be a comment, it could be something good that God's doing in your life. It could be just hello, it could be just you telling us where you're from and letting us know you're listening. Uh, it could be anything. So don't be shy, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, utilize that page, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday night Bible study. We'd love to hear from you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I need a volunteer to read verse 5. Alright, thanks. It's a familiar commandment. Jesus talked about it. And we're going to look at the Gospels where you see this come up again. But a lot of the gospel and a lot of things that Jesus quoted came out of these books, right, at the beginning of the Bible. There were a lot of information, there was a lot of information that Jesus 
used and uh, applied toward the gospel that came right out of Genesis, Exodus, or you know, all of the Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers that came out of there. And uh, this is one, one such case where uh, he was asked a question and he used this passage to answer the question that he was asked. And uh, kind of uh, interesting that you see this as a command. And uh, one thing about this commandment, if you had to choose, would you consider this an internal commandment or an external commandment? Okay, so in other words, now compare it to, I want you to think about this for a second, compare it to say a different commandment, like don't eat um, pigs, don't eat pigs. Okay, what would you consider that one? External. External, right. And, and so it's interesting that a lot of the commandments that you read about in the scripture that uh, we would be familiar with were external. In other words, when you think of the law of Sinai, you think of the law that Moses gave, you look in the book of Leviticus, and it starts talking about how you're supposed to do certain things, not do certain things, right? And it sets a barrier around God's people. It said, don't cross this line. If you cross this line, you're in big trouble, buddy. If you don't, then you're okay. Live within the corral of the law. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't cross that line. And that's really what the law was kind of about. So a lot of the law was external, if you think about it. You got the whole dietary law. That's fairly external, right? You got law between relations. In other words, like this is how you're supposed to be if you want to get married, or this is what happens if you get divorced, or all those kind of things, right? Those are all certain types of laws. What about... um, a law like uh, uh, like so you got a disease, right? And you're supposed to go to the uh, priest, and he has to make a determination on it. And there was a procedure for that uh, cleansing. Uh, if there was an issue of blood, or there were other issues, laws about touching dead bodies, not touching dead bodies. You follow what I'm saying? A lot of these things, and a lot of them had to do with external type actions. Now, this is one that includes really an internal action or understanding or has an external, has an internal component to it. And it talks about loving God. And the idea behind it was that, you know, there's, there's both, right? When we're loving, there's an, there's an affection. But that, that affection, if it's real, has to lead to action. In other words, we can't really talk about an affection without an action. Because if you want to talk about, well, I feel this way, well, what does that really mean? That's like the people will say, well, yeah, I love you. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? How is that affected? How does that really come to pass in our lives? Well, it, it leads to some kind of an action. At least it's something that's real and tangible and something that you can actually see. You can actually know. There's some manifestation of it. It's not just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm saying the words. Because the words are the words, but the words don't mean anything without the actions. Plenty of words are spoken every single day that mean absolutely nothing. Nothing. Zero. 
Zero. And, and so you look at that and it's like, all right, well, then how do you know what means something? Well, what means something is that which produces something. And without it, especially when it comes to this idea of affection, it comes to this idea of love, without something that's really being produced, it has no meaning. We talked about this, and we've talked about it for a number of Sundays in a row. We went three teachings in a row talking about love. And the idea behind that love, as you look into the New Testament, is there's got to be something attached to that. It's got to mean something. It's got to be something. Just to say it doesn't mean anything. Especially when it comes to loving God or loving each other. And, and you can say it all you want. You can use the words all you want. But the bottom line is, is that if you love God, then there's going to be certain manifestations in your life. There's going to be certain things that are actually seen and experienced by the people around you. There's going to be certain things that happen in your life that are going to affect people around you if you really love God. And so when Jesus picked this commandment and he said, okay, well, which is the greatest of the commandments? Well, this was the greatest of the commandments, that we love God. But what does that mean? Well, it means that there's something going to affect the rest of our lives. That there may be some internal understanding of this, but there has to be an external manifestation of it. The reason it's the greatest commandment is because it's both. The reason it's the greatest commandment is because it encompasses all the other commandments. The reason it's the greatest commandment is that it produces the life that God wants us to live. If we really love him, that, that will manifest into a life around us as pleasing to God. That's why it's the greatest. People don't like this one. I mean, they say they do, but when it comes right down to it, they don't like it because it, it, it's not something that they look at and they say, well, that's hard. Well, yeah, it's hard. Well, what happens if a person doesn't love me back? Like, let's say I'm, I'm going to love somebody. And I'm going to show love for somebody. Let's say I'm going to show love for a person that's maybe not the nicest person to me. What's that going to mean in my life? It might mean that they're mean to you. I don't know. It might mean that they hurt your feelings. I don't know the answer to that. But we don't like any of that. It's much easier to avoid shellfish than it is to actually lay our lives on the line and say, all right, I'm going to love this person whether I get any love back or not. That's harder. It's much more difficult to lay out our emotion, to lay out our lives, to lay out who we are in front of people that may or may not reciprocate that. That's difficult. And so it becomes something more in our lives that is actually life-changing, that actually produces and works in us something that makes us more like Jesus. And that's what's important. That's what's important. When I first became a Christian, I, I was out in western New York. I was at a, a college campus. And not long after, I started going to a church. And in the back of the church, they had a wall, and, and on the wall they had all these racks, and in the racks there were pamphlets. 
And so I would every now and then look at the pamphlets that were in the racks on the back wall. And there was one in there which said, A Guide to Church Membership. So I thought, all right, well, I should probably get that because I'm pretty serious about this God thing, so I should probably join up. Because my experience was is that how do you show loyalty to anything? How do you, you know, show that you're really part of it? Well, you join up. Like when I joined the Boy Scouts, right? Or I joined the football team or the track team or whatever it was I joined. And so I was going to join up, so I figured, well, I better figure out how to, how to get joined up, how to, how to get in. So I took the membership pamphlet and I read through it cover to cover. It was nice. It was in a bunch of colors, nicely printed. It was nice. It was a nice pamphlet. But in the pamphlet were all of the rules on being a church member. And they were really important things. That like like don't don't drink, don't use foul language, and don't go to movies. You can't frequent a movie theater. Now, now, this was a number of years ago, but I'm just saying, these were all important things that were in there. There's no dancing and loud. Okay, no dancing. Are you Kevin Bacon? No, no, I'm not Kevin Bacon. This, this, was, this was real, but this, this wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a movie made about this at all. Because I'm, not, I'm the last person that would be fighting the man about wanting to dance, okay? I... <laughs> The whole dancing one didn't bother me at all. I mean, I looked at that one like, good, I don't care. But I did like to go to movies. And as I thought about it, that was probably the one that bothered me the most was the movie one. And there were others that were weird to me. And I kind of dismissed them because they were just weird or I didn't know what they meant. Like, uh, I just didn't know so, so even the one about movies, the, the, the wording in it was not to frequent movie theaters. Don't go too frequently. So how frequent? You know, I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> so, so anyway, I kind of figured out after a while that meant you can't go to see movies. But then immediately my brain, the way it works, you know what I thought of right then? What about renting videos? Can you rent videos? Because back then you had to rent videos. There were no streaming services. And the videos were real videos. They were like VCR. I'm going to put the VHS in the VCR. That kind of video, right? And so immediately I thought to myself, oh, what about videos? Can you, do, can you rent videos? Because that's not frequent in a movie theater. So which is the problem? Is it going physically to the movie theater or is it actually watching the movie? I, well, which was it? Good question. What if it was a rated G movie? What? Okay, now we have a dilemma because the movie's okay, but then can I go frequent the movie theater? Don't know. So I had all these questions. It probably bothered me the most of any of the things that I was reading on there. And what it came down to, and it was a lot of years, and, and I can remember like years later I was on staff at the church. I mean, a progression had taken place over time <laughs> where I had, gone through a bunch of stuff and I ended up on staff as an assistant associate pastor at the church and I was sitting in my weekly meeting with the senior pastor and I brought up the pamphlet and I asked the guy I said do you know that this is in the back of the church 
And he read it, and he's like, no, I didn't. And I said, yeah. I said, when I, when I first came here, I, I grabbed it because I thought, well, maybe I wanted to join the church. And this is what I read. And it was really confusing. And he said, well, I mean, this is just really old. I'm like, yeah, I understand that, but it's there. What does it really mean now? What do you think? And so we had a good discussion about it, and, and we, we talked about what would really matter and what we were really looking at. Because people love, for whatever reason, and, and you, you can disagree with me all you want because it's okay, and, and I don't consider myself in this category, but people really love to be told what to do because there's a certain amount of comfort in it. And this was the way our discussion went that day. Because he asked me a question, the senior pastor, he said, why do you think this even exists? Why? Why, why would this pamphlet even exist? And we talked about it, and say, like, well, people take comfort in knowing what's expected of them. People take comfort in knowing what to do. People take comfort in knowing that they can physically do something or not do something, and that qualifies them. But see, the gospel's not really like that. The gospel isn't, isn't put forth that way. I mean, when they decided finally, when they had Gentiles coming into the church and joining the Jewish believers, they had to have a council to figure out, well, what do we tell them? They want to know what to do. Well, what do we tell them? So they met together and they figured it out. And they said, okay, well, we'll come up with three or four things, and this is what we'll tell them. And so they came up with three or four things, and that was the message, and they sent it out to all the churches. They said, these are the three or four things you need to do, and that's it. When honestly, honestly, there were plenty of Gentile believers that had been saved and were serving God before those rules were ever put into place. That's the truth. Paul had established whole churches with Gentile leadership before those rules were ever put into place. And they were running those churches. And the truth of the matter was is that they were drawn a compromise because they had a certain, uh, they had a certain kind of believer that was brought up with rules and regulations and this is the way it is and this is how it's got to be. And they were faithfully following their rules and regulations. And then you had this other group they were coming out of idolatry. They were coming out of all this other stuff. And they were pagans. They were coming out of polytheism. They were coming out of all these different things. And they were coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. They were giving their lives to Christ. They were bringing their families into the church. They were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they were serving God with a whole heart. Well, any of the rules and regulations. And something had to be struck in order to reconcile this group with this group. And that's what they did. But the honest truth of it, if you really want to look at it, is that there were functioning churches with functioning believers that were disciple-making churches that didn't have any of those things, and it was okay. It was all right. I mean, when it came right down to it, what I believe was the non-negotiable, at least for Paul, was the whole circumcision thing. 
Because he knew as soon as he approached the churches and he pulled a knife out and said, I'm going to have to remove a portion of your, for you to remain in the church, there'd be some people that would probably leave. Mostly males. <laughs> and they'd be out of there. And he knew that. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. And so they drew a compromise. So the greatest commandment, the first and greatest commandment, is to, to love God. Yeah. Love him. And it, but what it means is there's a real love there. What do I mean by real love? What do you think? It could be. Is real love unconditional? Yeah. But what else does that mean, though? Not in word only. Yeah, and as we looked at the last Sunday when I did the teaching, not in word. It's just not in word. It's a real love. It's a real love. So, it's also a strong love. There's no, there's no weak love when it comes to loving God. It's not, well, I sort of love him. Nope. I kind of love him. Sometimes I love him. I loved him yesterday. Not so much today. No? No. That's no good. It's no good. It's a strong love they're looking for. Now, somebody look at 2 Kings. I want you to read a verse there and tell me what you hear in this verse. 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. All right, what do you hear in that verse? That talking about Josiah or somebody? Okay, what do you hear in that verse? It's uh, hard to do. It's unique. Okay, but what? How is he described? It is. It's not. It's not everybody because he's being singled out and said this is somebody that is doing. He's living a certain way. He has certain characteristics. What's the characteristic? did, what he said, how he acted, how he... Right. So, so what we're looking at there, and the reason that it was something that was enough to point out was that it was everything. It was everything. That, that he was, his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole soul, everything that they mentioned there about, uh, about Josiah was that he, he had got turned around and he turned it right to God. There was, there was nothing else. That's what the word pure means. You want pure to mean all these other things. Pure just means of one substance. That's all. Of one thing. I'm all about one thing. And so the pure in heart is the one whose heart is all about one thing. The pure in spirit, the pure in soul, the pure in mind, is like they're all about one thing. That's what that means. That, that Josiah, for example... In the Old Testament, good Old Testament king there. Example of what it means. I'm all about God. 
He is so much so that he's pointed out, as Patrick pointed out, different, different than everybody else. What about him? He's all about God. That's what it is. He's all about God. You know, most people aren't all about God. Most Christians aren't all about God. You know that, right? Do you understand that? Most Christians are not all about God. In fact, we have woven ways, and we have to come up with new ways, and we have made it such a way that you can be a Christian, and we've made sure that you can still do what you want and be a Christian and serve God. Have you figured that out yet? Because you start talking about your unreasonable demands on people, Right? You start talking about unreasonable demands on people, and all of a sudden you're what? The bad guy. All of a sudden it's unreasonable. It's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Yeah. Why? Because we built in to our culture the ability just to live our lives. And then tag on Christianity as well. Yeah, I do that too. Or we might even call ourselves a Christian, but is that really defining everything we are? Doubtful. Some of us, yeah. Some of us, many people, no. No. And I want to encourage you that there is an unreasonable expectation placed on us. There just is. And if I'm the one that's verbalizing it to you, Say as an intern, because that's when that happens most of the time, so be it. Because it's not really my thing. It's not really my issue at all. It's God's issue. It's what he calls us to. The first and greatest commandment calls us to love God with all of our heart. And if you read in the New Testament, not only all of our heart, but all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's pretty much everything. That's pretty much everything. And that's the first and greatest commandment. And so this is a call that goes out. It's like, well, all right. Am I going to do it or not? Am I going to live it or am I not going to live it? I mean, when the Bible talks about being called to a life of purity, the first thing you need to think of is all in. All one thing, all about it. That's it. That's, what, that's, first and, that's the first and most important thing you need to think about. It's not whether you frequent a movie theater. It's not. It's not whether you said a bad word last week. That's not it. That's not the purity that I think he's that concerned about. It's not whether or not you have your hair a certain length or whether or not you wear a certain kind of clothing or whether or not you listen to a certain kind of music or whether or not, whatever. It's not. We want to make it about those things, but it was never about those things. It was always about being one thing. It was always about all in. It was always about... All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's always been about those things. And I want you to think about the distraction and the deception of all the other little things I just mentioned. And I only mentioned a few. 
And I mentioned just enough to offend people. Just enough. Because people will be offended by that, what I just said. It's all right. Hang around. I'll offend you even worse. Seriously, I will. But I want you to hear me that it's all of your heart, your thoughts, all of your affections, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Yeah. One thing. One thing. And so you start thinking about real love, strong love, superlative love. What's superlative, Tim? You know. Yeah, baby. Number one. Yeah. Primo. Best I got. <laughs> Me either. So it's a love above all. Intelligent love. You know, intelligent love is kind of important too. Like, I'm going to love somebody with the understanding of what that means. Yeah. Yeah, we're not brutes. We're not, you know, at a point where, you know, we're just going to love. Why? Well, you probably should know. You should probably have an understanding of that love. You should probably have an understanding of who God is. You should probably have an understanding of what it is you're loving and who it is you're loving. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we, we read. That's why we teach. That's why we preach. That's why you're encouraged to hear from God on your own. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. Put ourselves in a position we can know him better and love him with an intelligent love, with an understanding. And so we love God with our entire life. This is what we're called to. So we look at Mark 12, 30. Start looking in the New Testament. Mark 12.30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All right, I'm going to give you a couple weird little things here. Now, this is kind of weird, and I want you to just let it, let it kind of sink with you and stuff. Some of the commentators that read, say, these verses that Jesus picks out, that he speaks, says this is the first and best commandment. And then you see a gospel writer expanding that out to heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, some of the commentators, they look at that, and they really start considering that that just really means truthfully who we are okay can you understand that part of it so far that this is really who we are so if we're going to accept the fact that we're going to love god with really who we are the truth of the matter the reality of the matter i want you to think about this question here are you all good are you i'm not are you all bad no. So what are you? Kind of good sometimes and kind of bad other times, you know. 
However you're going to define those terms. Because, I, I mean, what could be good for me might be bad for you. I don't know. And what be, might be bad for you might be good for me. I can't even answer that. All right? I just can't. Now, I know there's certain things that are laid out in the scriptures. There's certain things that Jesus taught on. There's certain things that we have that God has made his declaration on. And we can look at those and we can consider those. And there's much thinking about that. But there's other things in life that fall into these areas that really aren't well defined. And so it could be an opinion. Could be. Could be the, the society we live in that defines that. It could be our group of friends that we're around that define that. It could be a bunch of different things. But what I'm getting at is this, that there is... The nature of who we are is mixed. In other words, some days that we're running the money and we're living the obedient life and there's other days where we're just doing what we want and we're living selfishly. Certain decisions that we make are self-sacrificing and preferring others over ourselves and other decisions that we make are very selfish and self-centered. And so there's this mix in our life and it's reality. It is a reality that there is a, a mix in our life. There's a truth that there's a mix in our life. Well, how are we supposed to love God? How? In the truth, right? How are we supposed to love God? Well, with the reality of it. And so what's the reality of our lives? Kind of mixed. But he wants all of us. All of us. He wants all of you. He wants all of you to love him. And as you're making that decision and as you're going through with that decision and as your life begins to reflect that decision more and more and more and more, there might be change that comes into your life. But that change never comes by you ignoring, ignoring your selfishness. It just doesn't. That change never comes by you ignoring your self-centeredness, by you ignoring your pride. It does, change doesn't come by you ignoring stuff. Change comes by you realizing who you are. Change comes by you fighting against some parts of you in order to live the way that you've chosen to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm going to love God. I'm going to choose to love God today. I'm going to choose to follow after Him. I'm going to choose to obey Him. I'm going to choose to pour out my whole life to Him Body, soul, spirit, heart, mind, strength. I'm going to give him everything that I have and everything that I am, including all that stuff we don't talk about. But there's a reality to that, a truth to that that is important. And if you understand what I'm saying, good. If you don't, it's okay. But I'm hoping that enough of you really pick up on what I'm saying here. That, that, that if you're waiting to be perfect in order to express your love for God and to live in that love, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting somehow for all of your priorities to come into line before you're really giving everything over to God, then you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting to give God the perfect life, in other words, 
I've gotten rid of all the bad stuff, God. It's all perfect now. I'm ready to go. I'll give it to you now. You're going to be waiting a long time. You'll never give him anything. Because that's just not the truth. It's just not. It's not the way we are. It's not who we are. It's not how we exist. And so he's looking for a reality. He's looking for a truth out of us. And it's good. It's okay. It's okay. Now another guy interpreted the idea of strength as being resources. Because he looked at it for more than just physical strength. In other words, we're going to love God with all of our might, with all of our strength. Well, what, what makes us strong in the eyes of the world? I want you to think about that for a second. What makes a person strong? Yeah, okay, there's physical strength. What else is there? Confidence. Confidence, right? Position, influence. How much you can handle by yourself. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, kind of that independent spirit, um, self-sufficiency. Okay. What else? Numbers. Yeah. Yeah. How about wealth? What, what's the whole world tell you? If you got enough money, what? What we call that? Security? Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that you read here in Mark is like, well, you're supposed to love the Lord God with all your strength. Well, depending on your personality, that could mean a bunch of different things, right? It could be physical strength. You're going to love the Lord your God with all of your physical strength. All right. What about your money or your power or your position or your influence? What about those things? What about your independence? What about your self-sufficiency? How about that? You're going to love God with those things? Yeah, that's what you're called to. And if you think about it, if you're loving God with those things, how might that change for you? How might, how might the definition or the way that you're living change if you begin to love God with those things? Because again, you're loving God means something. So there's manifestation of that. It's not just saying it. It means something happens physically. What might happen? You're going to make different decisions, right? Then what might happen? You change. You change. And what, what if you don't have as much money? That's not the point. What if you're not as physically strong as you used to be? It's not the point. What happens if, you, if you're not as independent as you used to be and now you're depending on people? All right. How about if you're not as self-sufficient? Maybe other people have to help sometimes. Oh, my. Oh, no. Yeah, well, that's part of the point of loving God with everything, with who you are. Loving Him with all your strength. Well, what are your strengths? Love Him. Love Him. And it may mean that they're no longer counted as your strengths anymore by anybody else except for God. 
because maybe they look different. Maybe they don't manifest the same way as they used to because of your relationship with him and of loving him with those things. That's powerful life-changing. It takes place as we love God. Because it has to mean something. It has to look like something. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. And so all your strengths, you're loving God with your strengths, it's got to look like something. It's got to mean something. It's got to be something besides the norm. It just has to. It's not the same old thing. Because you think about it, some people with money, some people money is more dear than their bodies. It just is. I was just listening to a guy today, I listened to a podcast, and there's a uh, former professional hockey player on the podcast, and he was going down a list of all the things that have happened to him over the years that he's played hockey. He's been playing hockey, he's from outside of Toronto, been playing hockey since he was a little, little kid, and just the, the, the number of injuries that he's had, rotator cuff injuries, knee surgeries, uh, barely walk, he's got arthritis in all of his major joints, he's had to have surgery on his hip, he's had to have tendons reattached to bone, would it be ligament, whatever. I just want you to, to, to yeah, I think, oh, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be, that's good. But I want you to think about how, how I mean, that's, that's, that's really like painful stuff. But he's went through all of that. Not to mention he's lost three teeth. His face has been fractured a number of times. And he had seven, seven diagnosed concussions. Seven. Now, he's in his 30s. Early 30s. Early 30s. And he was talking about, I mean, even after how many concussions, after how many knee surgeries, after how many shoulder surgeries, getting his hip done, playing in pain, he's still out on the ice playing hockey. Still doing it. Still going. Something for that guy was more important than his body. And I bet you if they weren't paying him, it wouldn't be hockey. But they're paying him. And they're paying him a lot of money. And it finally came down to this. One of his friends that he knew from playing hockey retired and within three years was dead because of all the concussions he had had. His brain inflamed whatever happens when that happens and he was just dead one day and he heard about it right before a game he was getting dressed for a game he went out he tried to do his warm-up he's just describing the story he's out skating around doing laps around their half of the rink or whatever and just started crying bawling ended up getting off the ice walking in he saw the coach and the coach just looked at him. He's like, take your equipment off and sit down. It took the death of his friend 
to put to put it in perspective enough for him to say, you know what? Seven concussions, that's enough. I'm done. And that was three years ago. He still can't sleep. He can't concentrate. He has trouble reading a cell phone. Everything seems to move and is jumbled in it. That's messed up. But people have other priorities, don't they? They do. And it's not always that obvious. And you look at that and you think, oh, all right. Well, that seems obvious. Is it worth dying for? No. It's not. But it's an illustration, it's a huge illustration about how money affects people. How their strength affects them. And what they perceive as their strength. To the point it can kill them. God wants you to love him with your strength. And there's a good reason for that. He knows what to do with your strength. He knows how to utilize your strengths. He knows how to, to best affect the world that we live in by your strengths. We don't. And so he wants to take a hold of our lives as we love him with our heart and our mind, as we love him with our soul, as we love him with our strength. And he wants to further the kingdom. He wants to use us to our potential in him. Not just the best we can figure out. Got a couple more verses for you. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. self-surrender total you go back to that verse I had you read in 2nd Kings 23 Josiah total self-surrender that's what he's looking for loving with everything loving with everything that we are loving with everything that we have okay Luke 10 27 for reading that so again total and complete self-surrender so now it comes down to it how how in the world are we going to love god is there an answer to that actually in the bible it tells us how we love god how it's possible that's Two sides of the same coin. And there's, that's a manifestation of love. But it gives us, in the Bible, we can look there. First uh, John 4.19. There's a, there's a because statement here. 
which is a cause and effect, if you know what I'm saying. No? Okay. That's all right. We love because he first loved us. Yeah. So, so how do we love him? How's it possible? The effect is that we love him because why? What's the cause? Because he loved us first. He loved us first, and now we love him. We have the opportunity to. We can. And what kind of love is he looking for? Everything. Totally. Totally who we are. And I'm going to make a statement here. It's an old-timey statement. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but it's, uh, it's kind of a neat way to look at things and a way to understand things. But it says this. It says, it's better to have one well. You know what a well is? Yeah, a well is source of water, right? It's a flowing source of water. So you put a bucket down in a well, bring the bucket up. It's got water in it, fresh water. You drink that bucket. What can you do with the bucket? Put it back down again. Fresh water fills it up. Pull it up. Drink the water. Use the water. Whatever you want to do with the water. Why? Well, because you can put it back down in the well again and you can get more water. Okay, so one well, it's better to have one well than a thousand cisterns. What's a cistern? Storage. Yeah, it's basically a hole in the ground. Water gathers in it or people put water in it and you can draw water in there how long? Till it runs dry. Right. And so then that's the end of that cistern. So then you're going to have to go to the next cistern and the next cistern and the next cistern and keep going until you run out of cisterns. It's better to have one well than a thousand cisterns. And you may not believe that when you first look at it. You may not. What's the only way that you'll ever believe that? I mean, seriously, unless you take it on faith, what would be the only way that you'd ever believe that? When you, run out. when you actually run out of water. And then you know. Then you know. So in this case, it's best to run out sooner than later. So that you can really know. And what this verse is talking about it's talking about an all-sufficient God who loves you. It's not a verse, it's a saying. But it's talking about an all-sufficient God who loves you and wants to provide for you versus a thousand insufficient relationships in your life. And you all know people, they go from one relationship to the other and they fill their bucket as many times as they can it runs dry, and they go to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And they dry up every single person that's willing to enter into a relationship with them. And it could be you, all right, for all I know. I'm just saying that we've met people like that. We know people like that. And it's a lack of perspective on a well 
versus a cistern. You know, we I talk to people when they're about to get married. I do their premarital counseling. You've heard me talk about this before, but I assure them every person that I've ever counseled before they got married, I assured them that that person they were going to marry is not as awesome as they think they are. I assured them. And I assured them that either Jesus is in the middle of this thing and both of them are drawn on Jesus and both of them are fully committed to Jesus or it's going to be a hard, hard, hard time. Because that's the truth. Because if all I got is this other cistern in my life, I'm their cistern and they're my cistern and we're drawing each other's water, guess what's going to happen after a while? You're going to dry up and run out. And that's what happens. That's what happens. There's only one real well here that we know of, and that's Jesus. That's the God we serve. And he is all-sufficient. He can meet every need. He put, he's, he's everything we'll ever need. But it requires us to stop hunting around. We need to stop. Stop the hunt. Stop it. He's the one that's all-sufficient. And no matter how deep you think that other person is, or whatever that relationship is, if that's what you're going to concentrate on, and that's what's going to be the center, and that's what's going to be, you will dry that person up eventually. Jesus is either at the center of every relationship, Jesus is either mediating every relationship that we're ever going to have, or something's going to dry up, and it's going to be ugly. And so God, as he gives us the first and best command, love him. Love him. Find that place and love him. Esteem him, delight in him, trust in him, and worship him. That's what he's calling us to. With everything. Good, bad, ugly, smart, dumb, Bright, shiny, dull, dirty, whatever. Everything. Everything. Alright. I'm going to take a few moments and respond. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, think about maybe uh, where you're at with this. Think about where your heart is with this. Because he's looking for everything. Not just one thing, but everything. For us to be all about him. All about him. All about our life with him. All about our love for him. All about it. And so, Father, I pray for a work of purity in us that would just be one thing toward you. All about you that our lives would reflect that. That as we 
stand before you. There's darkness and light in us. There's good and evil. There's spiritually rich and spiritually poor. There's truth and there's lies. We are who we are. But with everything that we are, you call us to love you. That's the first and great commandment. And that's got to mean something. That's got to look like something. That's got to manifest like something. It's just got to. Or it doesn't mean anything. So that's what I want to pray for in us. I want to pray for a a new way of seeing this. I want to pray for a, a new way of going about this. I want to pray, God, for something deeper and something better than what we've offered in the past. But I pray for something that is all-encompassing everything we are. So thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Everything we are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're all-sufficient for us. You are well. I pray, God, your forgiveness for trying to draw out all sufficiency out of other humans or out of other relationships to try to draw out more than anybody is capable of producing or making or providing forgive us God I just pray that as we turn to you we find all that and more in our relationship with you Thanks. Just pray, Jesus, that you would draw us. I pray, God, that we continue to turn our hearts, turn our minds, turn our souls, turn our strength toward you as we give ourselves to you. We give you thanks for the opportunity. We give you thanks for uh, your love in your provision in our lives. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your love. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.